Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. supply chains this week. China accounts for 12% of global trade. When China shuts down, the world shudders. Log jams at ports, container problems, vulnerabilities in the supply chains, gaps on shelves at retail stores. All symptoms of China's zero-tolerance policy towards COVID. In an interconnected world, we can't move away easily from those interconnections. Supply chains are the paramount interconnection. And when things go wrong in supply chains, it's usually because of the problems in that interconnectivity. Currently, there's a push to the regionalization of supply chains to try and move away from reliance on China, which is seen as too distant and vulnerable. Reconfiguring supply chains isn't easy, though. It takes time. It can't be done overnight. Janet Yellen, U.S. Treasury Secretary is pushing for the regionalization of supply chains to make them more resilient. The problem with this is that it alters the economics of supply chains, not just in terms of transportation, but in terms of the cost of products. Janet Yellen, U.S. Treasury Secretary, is keen to try and change the arrangement and make it more regional. I doubt that the prevailing assumption that consumers will be willing to pay more as they were during the pandemic really holds. With the pressure on consumers with inflation, interest rates and the cost of food in retail stores, I doubt that anyone's keen to see prices rise further as a result of the regionalization of supply chains. Reshoring may or may not be the solution. But one thing's certain, when you reshore, those economics change. The cost and revenue streams switch. The availability might change. All kinds of unforeseen consequences might also change. So you have to be careful not to solve a problem by making another problem. One thing, however, is certain, and that is there does need to be some rebalance to mitigate risk and vulnerability in supply chains to stop disruption. It's likely when trade starts again and ships start moving from China to the west coast of the US that we'll see a vessel pile up just as big as last year, if not bigger. And ships will be waiting longer to unload. And of course, the container boxes with their dwell times could be even longer. And the picture is similar in European ports, in Antwerp, in Felixstowe, and elsewhere. According to one source, it takes about 111 days for a product to reach the United States from the factory in Asia where it was made. And any delays to that add to cost. And of course, that's going to force prices of transport, of warehousing, of selling products upwards. Moving goods from China to Europe or the United States has increased significantly since 2020. It took an average of 40 days to get products to the United States, and it's now taking about 100 days, 111 days, as we've seen. So that's three times slower than back in 2020. And a similar picture emerges in Europe, where it's gone up in similar fashion, and it can be as much as 120 days. Now, you may recall I've been talking about the problem with pork production in the UK for some weeks on the Chain Reaction podcast. And the National Pig Association 
in the UK has said this week that the UK supply base is under threat. And they've written to Tesco, one of the largest retailers where pork products are supplied, telling them of the dire situation. It's likely that four out of five pig production farmers could go under. And this is due to the crisis with fuel prices and production processing prices having gone up significantly and also the cost of feed, which means that it's becoming uneconomic to supply pork products. The government isn't anywhere to be seen in giving any support at present. The shortage of abattoir workers last year put the industry under severe pressure And you might recall that many pig farmers had to kill their animals on the farm, which meant they didn't get any money from the pigs that they'd reared. If the UK's supply base was lost, then that would create severe problems for retailers in the UK getting hold of pork products, and prices would inevitably rise in any case. Some retailers have given support to the farmers. Waitrose, for example, has put together a package of about £16 million. Tesco is the largest retailer. It made about £2 billion worth of profit last year. And some other retailers, such as Asda, Marks & Spencer and Sainsbury, are also paying higher prices for the pork products. But Tesco needs to uh, offer some support too, if the industry is to survive, because they are the largest retail organisation. So, difficult times on the farm. I've reported this a few times in the past few weeks. It's not getting any better. The United Kingdom imported about £70 billion worth of goods from China last year. And those goods include things like phones, which account for about £7.3 billion worth of telecoms and sound equipment coming in from China. There's also computers coming in and some cars that come in via the EU or car parts and of course clothing. Now all those areas are affected by the recent lockdowns and that's causing quite a problem for buyers in Europe and the United Kingdom as well as in the United States. I reported last week that some of China's biggest cities have locked down and that's caused problems in delivering goods and of course Apple, with Pegatron, Quanta and other groups, have uh, suffered as a result of this. About 3 million iPhones have already been affected. And of course, it has knock-on effects with uh, iPads and MacBooks. And it was reported this week that Huawei has also delayed opening a new plant in Shanghai because of the lockdown there. Shanghai produces about a third of all China's computer chips. And the neighbouring province of Jiangsu produces about 10%. Computers also under pressure shortage of chips as to cars. So this is an ongoing situation. And another thing that caught my eye is the shortage of cleaning products. China is a major producer of chemicals which are used around the world in cleaning products. So they're under pressure too. So supply problems from China continuing. And of course, that's forcing businesses to reconsider how their supply chains are configured to maintain the flow of goods that they need for their businesses. Shell reported record profits in the last quarter of 9.1 billion US dollars. And much of this is because of the volatility in global energy markets following the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The Bank of England announced an Im- the Bank of England announced an interest rate increase this week, quarter of a percent, making interest rates in the UK 1%. But it also warned that inflation is likely to rise to around 10% this year. 
and that's a significant increase on previous forecasts. Higher energy prices are the main driver of inflation, and it could cause a recession in the United Kingdom, and this has sent the sterling price to a two-year low on foreign exchange markets. 1% is the highest interest rate since 2009. In the United States, the Federal Reserve put interest rates up by half a percent this week. Brent crude is trading at around 111 US dollars, so oil prices slightly back up this week. And natural gas prices are around 174 US dollars per therm, and they're up 4.42% on the previous period. In the United States, the half a percent interest rate increase pushes interest rates up to around 1%, and inflation hit 8.5% in March, which is the sharpest rate increase since 1981, and it's a 40-year high. So this is all to try and curb the inflation. These interest rates are trying to push down on inflation. Ursula von der Leyen said this week that the European Union wants to be less dependent on Russian oil within a year, and there are plans afoot to reduce the flow of Russian oil into the EU, and of course that means cut off the flow of money to Russia. The CEO of Intel, Pat Gelsinger, has said that the chip shortage cost the U.S. economy last year $240 billion, and Intel expect to see those challenges in place until at least 2024 in areas like foundry capacity and tool availability. So the chip problem ain't going to go away anytime soon. The lockdowns in Shanghai and the war in Ukraine have made things worse, but what they've demonstrated is the need for resilient supply chains and that resilience comes through balance and i've mentioned this in the chain reaction podcast a few times and we have a special edition on the five steps to the future that talks in detail about having this geographical and political balance to achieve supply chain resilience intel revenues fell this year in the first quarter they were down seven percent to 18.4 billion previously 19.7 billion and although net income rose by 141% from 3.4 billion to 8.1 billion that included the sale proceeds from McAfee i'm guessing a lot of people didn't know that intel actually owned McAfee security software and McAfee has been sold for 4.9 billion Kesslinger has reported that uh, intel is investing 95 billion us dollars opening and upgrading semiconductor plants in europe so that should generate further income and secure supplies for the future. Now, do you recall all those PPE contracts that were given out during the COVID crisis? And they went to all kinds of firms, firms without boats who were going to deliver goods from Europe to the UK. There were lucrative contracts given to all kinds of organisations that were ill-equipped or ill-prepared or with little experience of manufacturing personal protective equipment, and they received lucrative contracts worth millions of pounds. One of those companies was MedPro, and MedPro is based in the Isle of Man. This week, it's the subject of an investigation by the National Crime Agency regarding fraud. 
And it's related, of course, to uh, Baroness Moan, who's a Conservative peer in the House of Lords, because her husband runs this company called MedPro. And they've searched properties for records to find if there's been any crime committed. So we wait with a bated breath to find out if there's been any wrongdoing here or any undue influence. But of course, that's not the only company. There are much bigger companies that have been accused of defrauding government during the pandemic. And I guess they'll come out later. Whether they'll be followed up, whether there's any redress, difficult to say. It was reported this week that Maersk, the large shipping group based in Denmark, has lost about 713 million US dollars because of cancelled contracts or not doing any further work shipping goods out of Russia because of the war in Ukraine. And so that's likely to put some pressure on profit. But nevertheless, Maersk is a very diverse and profitable organisation. And one thing is certain, it's likely to be resilient. Next week, we have an edition on Reflections on Resilient Supply Chains. And we take a look at geopolitics, which is taking centre stage in many global supply chains. Securing assets and and securing supply chains to make them resilient is a top priority for governments and companies. China has invested in the central copper belt to ensure it has all the metals needed for electrical vehicles, particularly battery supplies, and it's been doing so for the past 20 years. You can find out more by listening to the midweek edition of Chain Reaction. Supply chains are always moving from one place to another, and we locate them locally, regionally, and globally. And you can find out what's happening as we talk more about resilience and how supply chains might be reconfigured in future. There's also an article about robots and employment trends around the globe. We report investigations into PPE fraud, the HRT shortage in supply in Europe and the UK, and uh, revitalizing that semiconductor industry, which is important for the United States and the tech companies. So plenty to catch up on. And also the rise of trade unions in big tech supply chains. Interesting piece about that. So make sure you listen to the midweek edition of Chain Reaction. Major ports in China, the United States and in Europe are facing very long delays due to the holdups and the closures in China with the COVID zero tolerance policy. Put a lot of pressure on suppliers worldwide. Shipping fuel has increased in price by 66% at the Singapore hub during the past year. Much traffic, as you'll be aware, coming from Asia goes through that Singapore hub. And the Russia-Ukraine war is pushing up ship insurance cost. So lots of cost pressures moving upwards. And that's in addition to the already existing problems experienced, particularly in the UK, with uh, the fallout from the impact of uh, leaving the European Union. So lots of administrative bureaucracy still increasing cost for all kinds of companies and pressure is on. Ships waiting in Shanghai now number about 344, according to Reuters. It's a 34% increase over the past month. It takes about 74 days longer than usual to move goods from China to the United States. And in Europe too, the average is up by four days, causing various effects on the rest of the supply chain. Ships and containers 
still not in the right place at the right time, and that's still causing problems, the mismatch of not having the containers available when you need them to move the goods. And that's adding to the woes. So the dwell time of containers and ports, which I've mentioned in previous episodes, still there. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine has put about 1-5% to on the price of insurance compared to pre-war levels. Turnaround times of ports are much longer. It's taking about an extra seven days to turn ships around in some places. It was five days a month ago. The turnaround time in the three largest European container ports, Rotterdam, Antwerp and now Hamburg, are 8%, 30% and 21% above the five-year normal levels. So you can see it's uh, quite a significant delay in the turnarounds. And so it's much slower to get stuff and, of course, it's not helping the box situation either. There needs to be significant significant reduction in those turnaround times if things are to get back to a more normal basis in the global shipping supplies. Amazon raised consumer expectations when it introduced its prime delivery and it's been a great success. It's one of the retail success stories setting up prime and making people pay a subscription annually for the benefits that Prime Delivery brings. Sometimes you can get the same day delivery and you can get next day delivery always. Providing, of course, that goods are available. But they'll tell you that on the site when you place the order. And if not, you can substitute products when possible. Amazon Prime have 200 million customers worldwide, and that's the figure that they've reported this month. Apparently, Amazon now has 15 million Prime accounts in the United Kingdom alone. Now, that's something. One of the problems of ordering online, of course, is the returns, if you have to send stuff back. And sometimes, for all kinds of reasons, you do have to send things back. And so returns can become a problem. It's something that uh, Regina Fry from Southampton Business School spoke to me about earlier. And this is what she said about returns. I see product returns as an example or one instance of, of reverse uh, supply chains or reverse logistics, whereby products or materials need to go backwards in the supply chain. And that could be from essentially from any point in the supply chain towards any any other points in the in the supply chain because sometimes you will have items that are somewhere in transit and then need to get sent back maybe because um, something is wrong something got damaged maybe because um, an order was cancelled and so it would need to go back to the warehouse But most often, the classical example is really products that are with the consumer and they don't want them anymore for some reason. There are many different reasons for doing that. Mm. And they need to go back and then they could either go back to the store directly, which is somehow the the lowest effort and the lowest impact, let's say, and and stores can um, have the quickest way to get back towards, um, well, getting some income from that item. But often they will be imperfect. So maybe the, the packaging is damaged. Maybe the product itself is damaged. If it's um, clothing, maybe it has actually been worn. And uh, so they they may need to go back to a warehouse. Maybe they will undergo some kind of repackaging or refurbishing um, and then they may be able to be sold again, either at full price or at a reduced price. 
Online consumer sales have risen, of course. E-commerce is about £1 trillion in 2021, up 38% from 2019. And it's about 16% of United States retail overall according to the U.S. Commerce Department. Online sales in the U.K. in December 2021 made up 27% of total retail, up from 20% in February 2020, according to the Office of National Statistics. So quite an increase. The overall return figure is 16.6%, and that's up from a figure of 10.6% in 2020. It's probably costing British stores about £7 million a year for those reverse logistics. Apparel has the highest return rate, and that's about 12.2%, and it's closely followed by footwear, which is about 9%, 9 9.1%. So apparel and footwear account for about 21.3% of the total returns, and that's probably to be expected. Apparel is probably one of the biggest areas of waste in any supply chain when you consider all the clothing products that go into landfill. And so... It probably comes as no surprise also with the problems of fit and whether you like something when you see it in its digital form online vis-a-vis in your wardrobe at home. They might be quite two distinctly different things. You might not like the feel of the fabric, the colours when you see them in their everyday sense and you might not like the fit or the try-on of the particular garment and therefore returns are to be expected. And it should come as no surprise that returns online mirror what happens in store because apparel is probably one of the largest areas in which returns go back to store. But you've got the added difficulties online, as I say, of fit, colour, feel, look when you try something on. Well, the government's in hot water over these border checks at the seaports and the lobby group or the pressure group that's coordinating response, is threatening to take the UK government to court because they feel they've been pushed into a situation where they've installed these border checks hurriedly and they've gone through the expense of not just doing that but also recruiting staff to work at these border control centres. And now it's been put back, possibly until 2023, but they fear they may never come into play. So it remains to be seen what happens here. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.